what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. This is our film review and discussion show hosted by uh, the two uh, guys running the film Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival here in Western North Carolina. Uh, I am Alan Jackson, one of the people I just mentioned, and here on the other end of the line is Chris Fry, my co-founder and co-director of the aforementioned Film Society and Film Festival. How you doing, Chris? I am doing good. As always, I look forward to recording episodes, especially because in this time, it gives me a chance to see another human being that doesn't live in my house. So that that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's, it's, it's good to get out. And unfortunately, we're talking about a subject that we're not getting to go out and do as much, which is watching films. Right. But we do still have some films being piped into our TV sets or our laptops at home. And that's what we're going to spend some time talking about today. So Every time we get together, we typically review one or two films for you, and today's no exception. We have a couple of films we'll be reviewing. These will be films that are available online to see, one way, shape, or form. We're going to review two films for you. We're going to go and jump into some movie news, and we'll also uh, tease you with a couple of trailers of films that are going to be coming out in the near future and talk about those films, as well as end the show with our recommendation for the episode. Chris and I both share a film that we'd like to recommend to you, something that you, we think you might want to check out during, uh, during your, your, your time at home or just for your own home, home entertainment. Uh, Chris, we have two films we're going to be reviewing today. First up, we'll be reviewing the latest film from director Kelly Reichert. This film is called First Cow. Then we'll be moving on to a film that I believe is on Hulu right now, if I remember correctly. It is An American Pickle. No, it's not Hulu. Is it Netflix? Where is it? Actually, you know, you're, you're, you're throwing out a bunch of streaming services, all of which are excellent guesses. It's HBO Max, I think, that actually too many to keep up with. I just kind of spin a wheel and just whichever one it lands on, that's what I say. And so HBO Max. Okay. Yeah. So not Hulu, not Netflix, not Amazon Prime. HBO Max. Got yes. it. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, then on HBO Max is a new film starring Seth Rogen called An American Pickle. So that'll be the two films we get into in our reviews. And then we'll move on to our news and end the show with our recommendations. Chris, are you ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's move into our first review, which is latest film by director Kelly Reichert. It is called First Cow. What's your name? King Lou. They call me Cookie. My mother died when I was born, and then my father died. I never stopped moving. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. Same place for cows. Well, it's no place for a white man either. 
but I sense opportunity here. Good Lord, give me another. I'll give you six ingots for that last one. I taste London in this game. We have to take what we can when the taking is good. It seems dangerous. So is anything worth doing? A royal cow. Until she barely produces a thing. Some people can't imagine being stolen from. Let's hope he's one of those. Director Kelly Reichert is known for her leisurely paced movies. A lot of times they have nature playing a big part in them. One of her first notable films was Meek's Cutoff that similar to the movie we're going to discuss, First Cow, it talked about people in a wagon train headed out to Oregon, and unfortunately some bad decisions led to them suffering some pretty bad circumstances. Uh, the meek who was leading them doesn't really do a really good job, and uh, bad things happen. So that's Meek's Cutoff, very you know leisurely paced film, um, deliberately paced, I guess is another way to put it. Then she did two additional films after that, Night Moves and Certain Women, both of which took place more in a modern modern time frame. With First Cow, though, she kind of goes back to a period piece, tells the story of Cookie, who's a skilled cook who has traveled west and joined a group of fur trappers in Oregon, though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant called King Lu, who is there seeking his fortune. Soon, the two collabor collaborate on a successful business. Um, so with this return back to her early, like nature of doing a period piece, Alan, how did you find first cow? Would you be interested in seeing a second cow or do you find that her style doesn't really, doesn't really work for you? You know, I, I love the idea of second cow. I think there ought to be a sequel to the film and it just, each one ought to follow a different cow and that should be the way these films progress. It'd be nice. Um, first cow, uh, this is my first experience with a Kelly Reichert film. Gotcha. I just really have not spent much time uh, uh, visiting her films. I should, because I can tell she's a very good filmmaker. I think there's a lot of attention and a lot of craftsmanship in building the film that she's made. So I'm, I'm eager and kind of curious to see some of her other films. Okay. I will say though, that uh, this one was a little tougher for me. Uh, and, and if it's an indication of what to expect with her other films, I just need to kind of steal myself up. Uh, the, the pacing is is really tough on a film like this, so it does hurt to some degree my enjoyment, but not my appreciation. Okay, so I can appreciate the film even though I may have some difficulty enjoying it to the full extent. I will say this is a film that um, has a lot, a lot of good going for it, okay. and I think at its core, it's a really strong story or fun, interesting story, and uh, great characters to follow. It's just, I wish it wasn't couched in a just barely over two hour film when I feel like it's really a 30, 45 minute story. Um, I, I, I've got plenty of things to say, both, both positive and some things I felt like didn't work as well. But I will say overall, I admired the film and I think at its core, it had a really great story and some great acting with two uh, wonderful lead actors uh, and characters that they portrayed. I just uh, I just really struggled with the pacing and I struggled with the length of the film and uh, just felt like there was a bit a challenge. And I think it's going to be a challenge for a lot of audiences as well to kind of uh, make it through the film and feel like that they got 
out of it what they were what they were putting in time wise. So, Chris, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the film. Well, so it's interesting. I of the four Kelly Reichert movies that I mentioned, um, the reason it was really easy for me to mention those is because I've actually seen them all. Whereas her earlier work, I think she has two or three more films. I haven't seen those, so I can't really speak to them. But um, for me, this was very much a return to Meek's cutoff. And what's interesting is, you know, right off the bat, you know, you mentioned kind of the length and the pacing. This is, you know, over two hours. Meek's cutoff is also not quite that long, but it's long and it has a lot of deliberate pacing of these people just trekking seemingly endlessly, endlessly through this, you know, just nothing's around, no trees, no desert, and people kind of suffering on this wagon train. The different, and it's interesting parallel to me because with First Cow, there's a lot more actually going on as far as, you know, these people do get to King Lou does meet Cookie. They do form a bond. They try to make a business. They have some, you know, enterprising ideas about how to do certain things that kind of get them into trouble. But it has kind of a detailed storyline that has different things happen. Um, but the running time doesn't do it any justice. It's like it really could have been condensed. You could have somehow trimmed off, you know, 45 minutes or a half an hour and made it a much tighter film. And I think it would have worked better. Whereas what I'm going to say with Meeks, but I liked it in the end result. I liked it better than Meeks Cutoff. And Meeks Cutoff, you know, it was interesting that the running time on that, you know, it was just all these shots and it's seemingly very repetitive and monotonous, long take shots. But that kind of gave you a feel of, what the people in the film must have been going through, kind of suffering through this long journey, this trek on the wagon train. So it kind of seemed like the pacing in that sense made sense. Does that make sense? Like the pacing of the film, even though it was slow, it made sense. Whereas with First Cow, to me, there wasn't really a reason for it to be so deliberately paced or for the running time to be so long because it didn't really communicate any themes to me. Does that make sense? So, um, but I still, I did like it better than Meek's Cutoff was okay. I liked First Cow better. And I think it's because when <laughs> when dialogue did happen, which, you know, not a heavy talking movie, but when the dialogue did happen, I found it really entertaining. You know, King Lou mm -hmm. has a lot of phrases that he says that kind of stick with you about kind of his outlook on life. And um, I found that actor also, you know, extremely engaging um, mm -hmm. and this was really the first thing I'd seen him in so Orion Lee I wasn't really familiar with him um, yeah. so well I, again I think the actors were strong I really John Magaro as Cookie and Orion Lee as King Lou I love the relationship that was built I mean this is a film that really doesn't shy away from a, a really natural strong relationship between two two men and the friendship and the bond that they, and, and a little bit of playing against some of the conventions of what people might expect a, a male figure at this time period um, really stood for, which I really appreciated. I thought was great. Um, again, all the scenes where it's the two of them talking or uh, kind of working together or trying to look, look for each other really worked for me. I thought they were great. And again, um, the film has even got a little bit of a, a parable feel to it where it's a fairly simple story. You know, you could describe the story in really one or two sentences and you really covered it all. Um, it doesn't get more complex than that. It doesn't get a lot more detailed than that. So, it, and it does have a 
look, you want to do good, but then you do something that's not good and it comes back to get you in some way. So that's the idea of a parable and that from that standpoint, it works. Um, so yeah, all those things I thought were great. I mean, the, anytime we felt like, I felt like I was able to connect with them as characters or I felt like something was happening. It was a, it was a, it was a great story to follow. I just, I just wish it could have done a little, a little briefer because it did feel like there were just long, long stretches where just nothing's happening or it's very repetitive. I'm not trying to knock the film because it wants to be atmospheric and it wants to be intentional in its pacing. I get that. And I, and like you said, even with Meek's cutoff, you kind of wanted to put people in that situation of feeling like what it was like to just be in this monotonous traveling and, and moving forward. Um, I don't really know what the, monotonous ongoing uh, situation would have been here in first cow that we're trying to ex live with these characters right. and at times just kind of showing nature I'm all for as well. But again, I just, I just felt like this film might've pushed that, that limit a little bit too much uh, for, for my takes. And I think the takes of a lot of, an, of the audiences. Right. And I think, you know, like you're saying the difference between Meeks cut off and first cow, like, you know, if the use of nature, if the use of the scenery kind of furthers the story, like I felt like it did in Meek's Cutoff, it makes sense. Whereas in First Cow, it's like it's not really adding or taking away. Um, it's just kind of there and then it leaves you kind of frustrated. Um, I will say, you know, I enjoyed, it's interesting going into the film, I'd heard a lot of buzz about John Magaro's character Cookie and how good a job he did. And I heard some about it, Ryan Lee with King Lou as well, but it seems like it was tilted more towards Cookie. And my takeaway from the film was, like you mentioned, I think both did a good job, but maybe I was expecting King Lou's character to be a lot, to be kind of a second fiddle or whatever, but instead he was equal, but in my mind, he also seemed to be more of the dominant force in a way. And that kind of, that kind of surprised me. I guess maybe I appreciated a lot of the lines he said and Cookie, I guess, being in his character was a lot more subtle and a lot quieter and allows himself to kind of be dominated by those that are around him. And maybe that's just, you know, that's kind of who his character is. The most telling things that you learned about him, which I thought were good character touches, Early on, he's out picking some mushrooms, and before he picks a mushroom, he sees a salamander that's on his back, and he kind of flips it over, and then once he makes sure it's okay and it crawls off, then he goes to pick a edible mushroom that's right near. So that was kind of like, you know, the care mm -hmm. that he shows living things. Um, the development of, you know, he ends up, they form this bond or business together, and they make these oily cakes, but in doing so, they have to steal milk. Um, and the way that he was talking to the cow that he milks it, which when we were discussing with our film festival or film society, I was saying, oh, you know, to me, maybe that's just a sign of his guilty conscience because he feels bad about it because of the type of person he is. And one of our members said, well, you know, actually, that's what people do when they milk cows. A lot of times they talk to them to make them feel more, you know, comfortable or whatever. So that wouldn't have been that odd. And I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> but but it was just, mm -hmm. still, you know, it was still a very character development moment that I thought worked really well. So. Right, right, right. And again, I, I agree with you all on all those points. So again, I, I did ultimately like the film. I do think it's worth seeing. I just think you need to go in with the mentality that it is. It's a, it's a long stretch. It's a long haul to get to. I could see a lot of audiences kind of getting to the end and just saying, 
was that it? <laughs> you know, I just went through two hours and that was kind of it. And the answer is yes, but it was good. So, you know, the, the thing that you got out of it was good. It was just took a while to get there. Um, overall, no, I, I, I'm, I, again, I am curious of seeing more of Reichert's films because I think there was enough here that was really well done and interesting. And uh, I'd be curious to kind of see her whole filmography at this point. Um, but I can't walk, I can't, I can't, can't disagree that I walk away from this maybe a bit disappointed. I think it was one that for me was really heavily hyped in the independent film community. This was a film that was slated, did actually come out to theaters and in uh, smaller independent theaters for maybe a weekend or two. Right. And then immediately had to get shut down because of the pandemic situation. Uh, so it kind of was in limbo for like a good month or two months and then finally was released online. So it has had a little bit of an interesting history getting where it is. Uh, I do wonder if it's a little bit of the halo effect of, Hey, we're just, we really are craving good movies right now. So this happens to be one that's a good movie came out and maybe it causes critics to be a little bit higher on it than they would have normally under other circumstances. I don't know. Again, I'm just speculating, Um, but I did like the film. I think it was a good film. I just, I do have some misgivings with the pacing and with the, uh, the length of the certain the, the film in general. So. I, I want to call out two other performances. We've talked about the, the leads in the film, but uh, probably the most recognizable actor to people that um, aren't familiar with the other names that we've mentioned would be Toby Jones, who plays the chief factor in this movie, which is he's kind of like the, the mayor of the town because chief factor is kind of an odd title. Um, and if you don't recognize the name Toby Jones, you would totally recognize him if you saw him on screen because he's one of, you know, he's one of those character actors that you've seen a hundred million times. <laughs> I have to say the part that I really enjoyed, which if they gave out an Oscar for the best eating performance, <laughs> then mm-hmm. I get it because Toby Jones's character comes up to Cookie and you know he he's Cookie knows this guy is important and everything. He's saved an oily cake for him. He eats it, and just how he like takes the bites and chews on it, and the expressions on his face and everything. It's like, yeah, this guy's obviously a good actor, and he's really selling the fact that this oily cake is transformative. You know? mm-hmm. So I thought yeah. that that was a fun moment and something that you know I thought was neat to see. And then there's another guy who I think the only movie I've ever seen him in is train spotting and it's Ewan Bremner and uh, oh, yeah. this film. And when I heard him talk, I was like, wait a second, that's spun from train spotting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it was just kind of fun to see him pop up in a film when I hadn't seen or heard from him, I think in like quite a long time. So yeah. yeah. Um, one other thing I'll say too, that for me separates this, you know, we've talked about similarities to other Kelly Riker films but um, something that did kind of stand out a little bit is I'm not calling this a comedy. Don't anybody get me wrong. There are some, you know, lighter moments. But Cookie at one point as part of his maybe diffusing the situation a little bit at two different points basically just tells a joke to King Lou at two different points. And those both times they happened were just completely unexpected. And I thought both were kind of funny. And it's just like he you know, kind of an idea occurs to him and he just kind of asks a riddle to, to King Lou as a joke. And it, and it really worked for me. And that's kind of an unexpected lightness that I, I didn't expect. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, overall it, it is a, I, I hate, it's a light film in terms of 
subject matter and in terms of plot uh, machinations, I mean, it is relatively light. It's relatively simple. It's relatively light. It's relatively, um, you know, it, you do have some fun with it at times and at moments. Um, so for a Kelly Reichert film, from what I've gathered from other work she's done, it seems to be a little bit, little bit lighter touch than maybe some others have been and just the subject matter in general. Um, it's not to say there aren't some serious moments in the film, but overall, I think the plot of, you know, Hey, these guys are opening a business to sell cakes and they're stealing some cow milk to do that is a pretty light touch plot and uh, a pretty, pretty straightforward, simple story. So, well, unless you've got anything else to share on it, Chris, I, I feel like I've kind of exhausted my, my review capability on this film. I, I liked it again, just misgivings with the pacing and the length of the, of the, of the film itself. Um, sounds like you were, you were pretty high on it or had a pretty good takeaway on it. Yeah, I think, I think I had a good, good time with the film. Uh, it's running some of the things that did frustrate you did frustrate me, but I think having had experience with their past work, I kind of knew what I was getting in for a little more. So that so. softened the blow. Yes. Cause I was honestly, I was a little surprised, you know, Chris Fry's patented review uh, issues are normally pacing and length of the, the, the film. So True. I felt like that might've been a little bit uh, working against, uh, against the film in your favor, but uh it sounds like you went in with the right mindset of kind of knowing what to expect. So you weren't too taken aback by it. So yeah. it's good to know. All right. Well, that is first cow. It is available online for rental or purchase through all of the major film sources where you may find online cinema these days. Uh, again, director Kelly Reichert. And uh, if nothing else out of the review, I do think it's worth you know either going to, back to see a couple of her previous films. Uh, I or me for the first time going back to see them for the first time. Uh, we are recommending that, you know, there's a good body of work there as far as films go with this director. I will say one last thing that I'm just having to think of as you were wrapping up there. You know, you mentioned how this film was in theaters and then it had to leave because of the pandemic that happened. I can see why the distribution company, A24, held on to it for so long because I think it would have really benefited from being seen in a theater where the images that she does shoot could have been seen big screen. The aspect ratio was 4-3, which on a bigger screen, still 4-3, but it shows up much bigger, obviously, in a movie theater than it does at your home. And I think an experiential movie with slow pacing, to me, usually plays better in a theater than it does when you're trying to watch it at home on a laptop or a phone, so... Very true. Good point. Good well, point to that. If you can watch it is that way, then that's what you got to do. So Yeah. All right. Well, that is First Cow. Let's go ahead and move on to our second review, which is the film, the HBO Max film. I'm going to get that right this time. Uh, <laughs> starring Seth Rogen and also starring Seth Rogen. Uh, it is an American pickle. In old country of Shlupska, I am ditch digger. As far as jobs in Shlupska, it's pretty good. We are the Greenbounds, and we have American dream. I find good job in pickle factory. Sarah, I make this vow. 100 years, our family will prosper. And then one day, everything changed. (laughs) 
It's been 100 years. The pickle brine preserved him perfectly. You're too old to do that. The world has changed. Everyone I know is gone. We were able to track down a great grandson. Greenbaum. Greenbaum. <laughs> this is nuts. Walk past the cafe, but you don't eat when you've lived to... Your parents, where are they? They passed away. It was a car crash. You will tell me everything of their deaths, how their bodies died, their faces as the life left. We will bond over our pain. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, love, you're not alone. I understand why you're a religious person, but I am not. How do you grieve for dead parents? Doing okay. I have an idea. They start big old business. That's a very stupid idea, Herschel. You have no wife, no children, mm. no friends, no job. You need help. I'm fine. You're not alone! You will become success. Wow. Ooh, very pungent. Mmm, yeah, that's straight from the devil. You will finally make their parents proud. Don't talk about my parents. You never met them! You have captivated the hearts of the entire world. And probably not best-case scenario for what the family's become. In old country, we have saying. I'm sure this has aged well. If man does not throw punch, it is because this man secretly had pulled the alarm. Do something, Ben! Throw your punch! You know they cured polio, right? A guy named Jonas Salk. Was he Jew? He was this. Is this your father? No, that's David Bowie. Is this your mother? No, that's also David Bowie. That whole poster is David Bowie. Chris, the 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 cinema trope of having someone play two characters in a film is been around for a really long time. I can't, I don't have in front of me how, you know, what the first film to ever do that was, but it's something we see quite a bit. People playing multiple versions, multiple characters in a film. Uh, most notably, it's sometimes they're playing twin brothers or twin sisters, or maybe they're playing uh, alternate versions of the same character, kind of a good and bad, maybe some sort of science fiction thing to it. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a film or can recall a film where someone was playing both their great-great-grandfather and their great-great-grandson. Uh, but that is the situation we have with an American pickle. It is a comedy, I'll say comedy slash drama, maybe a bit, um, starring Seth Rogen. And he does play two characters. He plays uh, an immigrant worker that uh, you find out is working at a pickle factory and gets accidentally preserved for 100 years, wakes up in modern day Brooklyn and meets his great, great grandson, Ben Greenbaum. And the two of them start to have, obviously, building back some family relationships, but also have some issues in relating to one another and their views of family, their views of work, their views of society. So, Chris, this position is a comedy, and I will say I, I felt like it was more comedic than not, and I think there was some some humor involved in the film. But I'm just curious for you. Just we get a lot of Seth Rogen. This is you know he's carrying the film with the two key roles. Uh, a lot of this may hinge on your your like or dislike of Seth Rogen as an actor. So give me a little background there. How did you feel the film worked? And did it work in spite of Seth Rogen? Or maybe did it work if it did work for you uh, because of Mr. Rogen? So we actually, I believe, did this trailer as part of Trailer Tapas on our previous episode. And 
commented afterwards, you know, it seems like both of us laughed a little bit when we watched it. And I said, you know, it looks good. Doesn't look like there's a whole lot there. Um, Cause you know, it's just a, a light comedy or whatever. Um, I think I'll enjoy it. I'll definitely give it a shot. And it surprised me because there was a lot more there than what I thought. And you, know, you see the jokes in the trailer and then you're afraid they're not going to play well when you see the whole movie, cause you'll know they're coming. Actually, I still enjoyed the jokes that were in the trailer. It was kind of the, it was the rare instance where I still, you know, they were so many, I felt like in the movie that landed for me that those landed as well. And I didn't mind having had them spoiled. Um, I think I really enjoyed Seth Rogen in this film and he's, he's always just kind of an okay actor. Some people really gravitate to his performances and want to see every comedy that he's in. And I think he's good. Um, but in this one, I think it helped that when he was doing the comedy part, which was basically Herschel, that was the, the pickle factory worker, the immigrant, he was the one that was basically doing all the funny stuff, but he was having to be restrained because he doesn't know, he's not trying to be funny. He's just mm -hmm. a fish out of water type thing and was delivering it in this very kind of deadpan style that I think, I think was really effective and something that I'm not really used to Seth Rogen. He's usually like the sarcastic pot smoking, you know, and that, that wasn't that character. So it really worked for me. Um, the, his other role where he plays Ben, that was a little bit more of the kind of sarcastic, you know, Seth Rogen person that you're inter usually see, but yet he was still different, I guess, because, he was still somewhat different. So overall, yeah, I guess if you don't like Seth Rogen, you'll probably not like this film because he's both main actors. <laughs> so mm -hmm. what, what was your take? Yeah, no, I, I, I think you were summing it up right as far as Seth Rogen's performance. I, it's almost like it took, took him as a, as a, what we normally know of Seth Rogen kind of split him into two different personalities and both of them were ones that were a little more unique. And I think it's the most acting I think I felt like I've seen Seth Rogen do. And I like the premise as absurdist as it is, I think. And it knows it's absurd and it plays oh, yeah. with that absurdity. Um, and again, I think the the premise of how do we get Herschel to modern day? It's like, oh, well, let's just do this. This will be really funny. The cold goal is we want Herschel to be modern day. We want him to interact with his great grandson because that's the key of the film. So the premise, the setup is really just, let's just have fun with it. And I do think, I think the first 15, 20 minutes of this film are probably the strongest. I had the most fun watching the lead up uh, and that's following Herschel in this very deadpan comedy style. Um, I thought it was great. Um, and, and then I think the introduction, kind of the whole fish out of water scenario with Herschel coming into modern day New York and meeting Ben and just that. All of that was great. I think that played really well. Um, I do think the film maybe lost some steam when it tried to get a little further down the road with its plot, but I still enjoyed it. It still it still worked for me. Um, I think once they, they kind of figured out that they've got they got this fish out of water situation, they've mined that pretty well, and they're trying to push these two characters down a story. I felt like it it, it it got off the rails just a little bit. And I'll comment on that a little bit later, but overall I still enjoyed it. I still, it, it did not detract me from the film. Um, I just think the, the first half, the lead up was a lot stronger than the closing um, on it. But again, Seth Rogen, I thought was good. I thought I was generally surprised and impressed. Uh, I'm, I was happy to see that they tried to do more with it than just play with the premise. Uh, there was a lot going on here about family, about, yeah work ethic. I thought really some interesting kind of notes about 
there was some really sharp satire about Ben's career, which yes. I thought was really interesting, kind of targeting a little bit of this. Uh, I, I, I'm going to use some generational terms, but this millennial belief that, you know, like, for example, the logo is more important than what it is I'm actually doing. Coming up with a name for a business is more important than actually doing the work. There's a little bit of that kind of very, very sharp satire to it that I actually appreciated. It was kind of daring to say, yeah, we're going to kind of call some people on the carpet, like, you know, who are a little too hung up on certain things and not just willing to go and do the stuff they need to be doing or, or, or using the talents they have to actually make something happen. So, um, I thought it was a, it was great satire. I thought it did have some great comedy. The moments it did get dramatic, I thought were also handled really well. So uh, overall, yeah, I actually was really surprised with the film. I liked it. It's funny. I think you and I both liked this film. Um, and I think where you were saying it kind of went off the rails. Or kind of, to me, that was some of the surprising part of the movie and what made me appreciate the movie even more. Um, and basically to try to not spoil it for people, um, in a typical film, you have the whole fish out of water, and that would have been the entire running time of the movie, which would have been really boring to me. Because like you say, a person playing a dual role, doing this type of thing, I can't name of any other films right off the top of the bat that have done that, but I feel like between the two, dual role, fish out of water, maybe you combine those two and it's two cliches together. That's what I was worried this movie would be. The first, you know, 10, 20 minutes of it, that's what it was, but it was funny. But then they kind of shift gears and get into the whole business thinking and business theories and Ben's app, which I love the name of it, Boot Bop, <laughs> the creation of the logo like you're talking about. And then Herschel's idea of starting a business, which was very entrepreneurial, low-tech bootstrapping aesthetic of starting a pickle company. But then kind of each person kind of their shortcomings and how they're trying to do things. I thought that was interesting. And then specifically, some of the obstacles that happened to Herschel's pickle business came from a very unexpected place for me. And I didn't see the complications. You know, you expect them to arise because otherwise the movie wouldn't be, you know, the 90 or 78 minutes, 88 minutes, however many minutes it is. Um, so you have to make it movie length. But the source of conflict that happened, and it wasn't just once a source of conflict, it kind of kept recurring. I was surprised that that was the tack it took. And, but please, and I really liked how the film ended and wrapped. Like it was really kind of a, I got much more out of this movie than I, than I thought I would. So. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. The, 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 the part I'm kind of more referring to again, not getting spoiler, but there's a little bit of a, 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 a plot. I don't want to say a twist. It was more of a, they kind of changed some things up a little bit late in the film, kind of towards the end that it just kind of, it, it, the, the last little third or quarter of the film didn't work as well. I, I was looking for a little different setup towards the end, but again, it was just more of a personal preference. I think on that, uh, I did like the business machinations. I, we did not intentionally pair first cow with American pickle, but yet it's interesting how both films, very much about kind of the American spirit of work and building a business and entrepreneurship. Both of them very, 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 very keen dealing with that, which was interesting. Um, no, I, I, this was a generally a great surprise for me. I, I, I did have a good time with it and uh, it did uh, give me some confidence. Seth Rogen's got some acting chops that I haven't really 
scene. I've always known he's been a great comedic actor, but I always felt like it was a little more one note. And this, this should show me a little bit more. And uh, I like the setup. I like the premise. Um, again, I, I just, I felt like it was maybe, a, maybe lost a little bit as it tried to sh uh, shift the story around late in the film and switch some roles around. And uh, that did not work as well for me, but, um, but I don't think it ultimately detracted from my enjoyment of the film. So um, <laughs> overall, yeah, I was very happy. I, I give this a, a, a nice, nice, uh, warm thumbs up. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of surprised that you mentioned kind of the um, let's just call it the pandemic effect on movies that are released and how you feel like that kind of maybe has benefited First Cow a little bit. Um, with this film, you know, it kind of really flew under the radar. It's released on HBO Max, not even VOD. You have to have a specific service to see it. Um, I'm kind of surprised that more people aren't more into it. Um, it's a comedy, which, you know, and I think it's well done. No, it's not going to win any Oscars, but, you know, it's at this time, I think it would kind of go gangbusters, kind of like Palm Springs did, even though it's not adult like mm. that. It's only PG-13. But um, I'm just kind of surprised that more people aren't talking about it more or that it's not more yeah. favorite reviewed. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree. I, I think this was a nice little surprise. Um, not a not a superly profound film, but I think a very enjoyable, fun film that has some had some good things to say, had some more uh, important messages to share than I anticipated it would. And uh, also, I'll say from a directing standpoint, Brandon Trost. I'm not really familiar uh, with any work as a director, but where I really did like the first 20 minutes or so, where it was setting up the premise, I think I liked it because I thought it was really stylishly done. It was well shot and had some nice kind of editing to it. It just, it, it, it was a brisk, nice introduction and it had a little Wes Anderson-ish little vibe to it at certain times with some of the framing of shots and some of the editing, but it still uh, was very unique and, and it worked. So he was the cinematographer of the disaster artists and also of this is the end. So he has worked with okay. this group, you know, of actors in the past as a cinematographer, but I do believe it looks like it might be his first, directorial work so that's um yeah as far as an actual film he's done a lot of shorts and did a couple tv episodes but his first feature film as a director is an american pickle so overall a good 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 for first film as a director there for sure so that is an american pickle on hbo max did i get that right yes got it right again second time mm -hmm. now and uh, directed by Brandon Tross, starring uh, Seth Rogen and Seth Rogen. Didn't even mention uh, Sarah Snook, which I was excited to see that she was in the film because she's an actress I've actually seen in a few other things and really like. And then was a little okay. disappointed that she wasn't in the film anymore. And she was. It was a pretty short spot. But um, she's good in the five minutes you see her. Uh, so anyway, it's an American pickle. It is out now on HBO max and Chris and I are both saying, yeah, it's definitely a enjoyable film. We had a good time with it and uh, surprising how much we did like it. So, all right, well, Chris, we had two films that we were both generally positive on or, or highly positive on, uh, for this review uh, set of reviews. But now let's go ahead and turn after we come back from the break, we're going to turn our view a little bit to maybe some future films projects that are either in development or going to be coming out soon. And we're going to talk about those a little bit and share our hopes and desires for them. And then we'll end out the show with our recommendations for the episode. You're listening to foot candle films here on the mesh.tv. We're going to take a quick little break and when we come back, we'll get back to the rest of the show. Thanks for listening. 
This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. Alan and Chris here with the Foot Candle Film Society and Annual Foot Candle Film Festival here with you back. We had our first half of the show where we reviewed the film's first cow and an American pickle. Uh, but now we're going to change it up and talk about some future things that are coming in the world of movies. Uh, before we do, just a quick little, let's do a couple little plugs here, Chris, while we're thinking about it. Uh, we are just a few, few mere weeks away from the Foot Candle Film Festival for 2020. That will be happening uh, the last weekend in September. I believe it's the 23rd through the 27th. That's right. September 2020. Uh, and this is something we do every year. This will be our sixth year of doing the festival. But it will be a little different this year in that we are doing a completely online festival. It was probably the right move, Chris, when we made that call a little while back. Because as of the time of this recording, movie theaters in our area are still not open. So not really sure if they will be by the end of September or not. But either way, we are making a completely online festival, which means that you, that's right, you, listening to this show, no matter where you live, could actually join us for this year's festival. It will be completely online. You can see a list of all the festival films as well as our schedule. If you go to footcandlefilmfestival.com, that's where you can see schedule, films, and also buy tickets or a pass for the entire weekend. We will have a lot of uh, filmmaker discussions after many of the films, uh, a couple other special events scattered throughout the weekend as well. Should be a lot of fun. So footcandlefilmfestival.com is the website to learn more. Did I cover that okay, Chris? Anything I need to add to mix? I, got right, I think that you, if you are interested, you can watch. If you're outside the U.S., maybe not. But inside the continental no, U.S. True. You're- Good point. Yeah. Yeah, inside the continental United States, I should have said. So sorry if there's somebody listening outside of the United States that got excited when I told you that you could watch the online films. Uh, I'm afraid with some of the distribution agreements we have to put in place, we did have to restrict it at least to the United States. So good call on that, Chris. Apologies um, to the Icelandic fan base. That's like huge. So I know, I know. We are losing quite a bit by that restriction on there, unfortunately. So, Chris, let's move on to a news item. This is where we like to talk about maybe some things happening in the world of film, some upcoming films or projects that we are curious about. Or uh, as we like to say in this part of the segment, this could be good. And again, the, the, the inflection at the end is intentional because we don't know for sure if this is going to be a good film or not. But it's got the makings of being an interesting film. We'll just leave it at that. So let me, I'm going to take this one over, Chris, because this is a, look, we've been in this, we've been in this pandemic situation. We've been continuing to record our show. And one thing I have noticed our show has skewed away from since being in this more environment is that we have not talked about any uh, superhero comic book movies because honestly, there just haven't been that many of them released because they've all been pushed back and delayed even though before pandemic, that was all the rage. Every other week, it seemed like a new comic book movie, and we ended up talking about it. Sure. So I've got one to throw out there, because this, to me, is a very interesting project. Okay. And I just want to get your thoughts on it. 
you and I reviewed the film right. Suicide Squad um, when it came out back in 2016. Uh, Suicide Squad, we didn't care for. Um, actually, we kind of picked it apart from what I remember. We were pretty brutal on it, actually. Uh, we just felt like it just didn't work. Right. We didn't really enjoy it. Um, so that was kind of brushed off. All right, it's done. Suicide Squad didn't work. Move on. Well, <laughs> did you know they're making a sequel? And it's called just Suicide Squad, right? It's called The Suicide Squad. Yeah, oh, The Suicide Squad you. instead of Suicide Squad. Now, that in itself doesn't give me any confidence. I, I think, okay, well, all right, so fine. You've just got a sequel and you just put the word the in front of it. No big deal. But come to find out, director James Gunn is actually the one directing The Suicide Squad, the sequel. Now, James Gunn, if you don't recall, was the one who did the Gal uh, Guardians of the Galaxy films for Marvel. So he did both the one and first and second one. He had also done some like horror movies and some other kind of genre movies before that. So he's, uh, you know, he was the one who was uh, ceremoniously kind of fired from Marvel because some past tweets of his got uncovered. But then they brought him back in the fold and said, yes, we're actually going to still have him do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. But first, he had already signed on with DC to do Suicide Squad. It's kind of interesting backstory there. Um, so he, his name alone gives me a little, little tiny bit of hope to say, okay, well, maybe this film will be a little different, a little better, a little more interesting. But here's the thing I want to lay out for you. This is what, to, make, to me, makes this project interesting. The idea of the Suicide Squad in the comics has always been you take a kind of a whole bunch of you know, villains and you put them together to make a superhero team out of it. I don't recall there ever being like a really, really defined set of, of villains that made up the Suicide Squad. It was more of a rotating roster okay. of different ones. And that seems to be a little bit more of the approach they're taking with this version of the film. So what you've got, and let me read out these characters. Okay. So there are some characters are going to be returning from the original film, but it's not going to be all of them. Okay. Some will be returning. You are going to get Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn coming back. Okay. You got Jai Courtney uh, coming back as Captain Boomerang. You got Viola Davis, who is kind of the, the task force boss, Amanda Waller. And then Joel Kinnaman was Colonel Rick Flagg. So those four are coming back. Okay. But then you add to the mix, we've got Sean Gunn, who is James Gunn's brother, who's been in a lot of his movies. Recognizable face, um, you probably see. Nathan Fillion. Okay. Pete, Pete Davidson. Mei Ying Ning. Uh, and then you've got uh, Idris Elba is coming on board. John Cena um okay. peter capaldi the peter doctor who star yeah, yeah. uh michael rooker who was in the guardians of the galaxy taika watiti is going to be in this film um alice braga steve Ajee, jennifer holland i mean all these names hmm. and they've thrown out a bunch of villains names that are like these really unknown or little known cd level villains uh the weasel the Javelin, Blackguard, Savant, Mongol, I mean, uh, Rat Catcher, Polka Dot Man, all these bizarre <laughs> villains. Yeah. So it's almost like they're just going to make this a throw everything at the, at the, uh, on the wall 
a whole bunch of random bizarre villains played by a lot of recognizable actors and names and James Gunn directing it. So I got to admit, I'm kind of excited for this one. What's your thoughts after me giving that long descriptive setup for it? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in it. I feel like the first one had me excited because of the premise. And then as we've talked about, it was kind of a, it was a dumpster fire. Um, this one seems like in a way they're just, yeah, they're doing what you described, throwing everything at the wall, see what sticks. And it's kind of a winking at the audience too. Like, yeah, we know, we know we're kind of daring to even bother trying to make a sequel because the first one was bad. So this one's going to be really random and randomness usually appeals to me. And I think James Gunn, if he can do, you know, a talking raccoon or whatever for guardians of the galaxy and make it work in a tree that only says Groot repeatedly, you know, if anybody can do random, it's James Gunn. So I'll, I'll give it a shot. I I think the way you just described it, exactly what I'm excited about. It's a little more, it seems like it might be going a little more meta to say, yeah. all right, fine. You guys didn't like the first suicide movie. Maybe we took ourselves too seriously or whatever. Tell you what, we're just going to have fun with this. We're going to throw a whole bunch of random bizarre characters. We're not trying to be cool. We're going to be fun. And let's do that. That's what I hope they're going to take away from this. And there was even a joke. I don't know if James Gunn was being serious or just saying this to get attention when they were talking about the film months ago, when it was kind of being discussed and kind of teased a little bit saying that basically a lot of these villains are going to die really quickly. <laughs> so someone's was like, we're throwing a whole bunch of random characters in here, but they're not all going to last very long. In other words, we may have 20 some villains that you meet during the course of the movie, but I'm not going to tell you how many of them are actually still going to be standing at the end. So again, I think they're good, wow. just going to have fun with this. So I'm, I think it could be good. I'm just going to throw it out there. I think it could be really interesting. I'm excited to see what he does with it. Cause I did like both of the two guardians of the galaxy films that uh, James Gunn did and excited to see him do the third. So I say, bring it on. Sounds great. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I'm up for it. All right, cool. So that is the suicide squad. I think last I heard the potential release date is uh, they started filming and well, they started filming a while back. It's scheduled for release next August. So okay. about a year from now. So we still got a ways to wait, but uh, we'll see how it comes together. Okay. Now, how about Chris? Let's talk about a couple films, though, a couple projects that are a little more firm and that there's actually trailers for them. And we actually know release dates for these two movies. We've got two films that we want to kind of talk about. This is what we call our trailer tapas section where uh, kind of like a tapas where you just got little morsels of food you can kind of taste and try. That's what trailers are. And we just want to kind of feature a couple of them that have caught our attention about projects. That I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not terribly familiar with either project. I was more intrigued by the trailers that we that we have access to. Chris, you want to set up the first one that we're going to talk about here? So uh, Boy State is a movie that I'd heard very little about, but all I knew was that it was a, a documentary that you know had politics at its core. I was thinking, you know what? I don't think I really want to see that right now. I'm just not really interested. However, I saw it pop up on, Di ah, I almost did it again, Disney Plus, not Disney Plus. I'm like, Alan, I'm having struggling with the services. No, it is not Disney Plus. It is Apple TV Plus um, where this film was surfacing. I checked out the trailer and I was like, okay, I like the angle they're taking with this. The directors have done Jesus Camp, a documentary from a couple of years ago that was also pretty interesting. So 
let's uh, take a look at the trailer and uh, talk about it some. I will skip the part where I brag for three minutes about how great and cool I am. Seeing as we are all qualified young men of skill and character. People like that stuff. Good, yeah. People like that stuff a lot. Some people say they're a sports junkie. I say I'm a politics junkie. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. I'm playing this like a game. I would like very much to win. I love it, boys. I love it. Where are you from? I come from a very modest family. Uh, I'm on the course to be the first one to graduate from high school. I'm a progressive person, and I'm in a room full of mostly conservative people. Our masculinity shall not be infringed. I've never seen so many white people ever. I feel like everybody has a secret underlying need for bipartisanship. A message of unity, as good as it sounds, is not winning anyone any elections. Primary polls are now open. Get yourselves ready for a turbulent election. Whatever happens, dude, best of luck. You win, I support you fully. My name is Steven Garza, and I'm running for governor. Let's get the applause because. As to the political views voiced in my speech, sometimes you gotta say what you gotta say in an attempt to win. I think he's a fantastic politician. But I don't think a fantastic politician is a compliment either. We're gonna do shock and awe. It's gonna be awesome. I want y'all to take out your phones and go on Instagram. Everyone, come on. Oh my God. Will we show the world what patriots are made of? That when things get tough, we pull ourselves by our bootstraps. One nation under God, lovers of the Constitution of the United States of America. That's politics, I think. That's politics. So, you know, Apple TV Plus, Alan, I think I got the service right. Is that right? <laughs> you did. It was Apple TV Plus. We're going to need some sort of like diagram or something, some sort of cheat sheet to keep in front of us to know all the different uh, services that are out there and which films on what. But anyway, yes, Apple TV Plus. So I know we've talked about in the past different movies that we've reviewed that have had political leanings. I'm imagining, Alan, I think you are can be kind of a political junkie. I'm imagining you're all on board for this film and that you're interested in seeing it. Absolutely. I, I love it. Every moment. I mean, not to admit, it, it's just a really well done trailer. First and foremost, it's a very entertaining yes. trailer in its own, in its own right. But no, this, this is right up my alley. So I'm super excited about this film. Uh, do we know the release date on it? Did they even pull that up? I think we are recording. This is Friday. August 14th. I think it comes out today on Disney plus. So, I'm oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> Apple, Apple TV plus. Apple TV plus. Yes. Apple I think TV it comes. Plus. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So if you have an Apple TV uh, plus account, you get to see this basically as part of your subscription. Well, see, now I never saw what was the, the previous uh, documentary that was really popular. Was it a, uh, it was Jesus Camp that these people, these directors okay. have had a part. All right. I never saw Jesus Camp. So, 
but it seems like, I mean, just given the subject matter, it seems like there was some very similar themes being explored and style of, of documentary filmmaking as well. Uh, the film looks really good. I think, you know, just from a, a cinematography documentary cinematography standpoint, because I have some very interesting characters that I'm looking forward to kind of meeting and following. And uh, that's great. Anytime a documentary can give us some insight into a, an event, a function, a society, a subgroup of people that we just don't have a lot of exposure to. I think it's a great, it's a great win. This, this whole model, it almost looks like a kind of a fake governor school or like a mock competition governor school type of thing. And yeah, again, that's, yeah, that's, I'm all for that. Let's, 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 let's explore that and kind of learn what we can from that. So it's great. Very excited. Yeah. It, it was interesting to me too, because like I said, usually politics, I kind of get burned out on it, especially right now during everything that's going on. But what's unique about this is it's actually not covering politicians running an election, trying to run a race, trying to win something. No, it's just about young people and their ideas of what politics are and how they're trying to work with each other. And that's what I think is is fascinating, because in the end, I'll be all at the end of it. You know, one of them, I think, is elected like a governor of this, you know, body that they put together this thing but it's not like a real governor or a real mayor or a senator yeah. no i think it's it's all over with so it's just an interesting contest so i yeah i can't wait to watch it <laughs> yeah i think it will be very interesting all right well let's move on let's talk about another film that uh is not coming out till next year but we at least do have a trailer for it to at least explore uh the reason i i, I wanted us to watch this one i know we're both uh we've both really liked what Lakeith Stanfield has done in some recent film projects. I mean, we saw him and uh, sorry to bother you. Uh, we, uh, he was also in uh, knives out. Uh, I know there's a couple other projects we've talked about. Well, this is a film that he is going to be starring in along with Daniel Kalua, who we really liked also in, of course, get out, but also he was really good in uh, um, the film I'm forgetting right now. Um, the one with the, uh, oh gosh, cannot believe I'm forgetting this. Uh, Chris, help me out here. What am I forgetting? It's uh, just. I've seen just Daniel, Black Mirror, but you're talking about another film. And Daniel Kalula, he was like the the bad guy in a, a film. Uh, women were uh, the spouses of, uh, of criminals, uh, went on a caper and he was like the bad guy in it. Come on. What was the film? Was it, wid was it Widows? Widows. Widows. Okay. I basically just described the name of the, the film and I still yeah. didn't get it. So yeah. Okay. Widows. He was in the film widows that uh, I, I, I was a little mixed on, but I thought he was really, really good on. So I thought he was, he was excellent. Okay. Boy, we are off our game today. Every nothing's working out in this recording to the, the show today, but that's okay. We're going to keep plugging ahead. So this is a film, uh, Judas and the black Messiah. Uh, it's a movie about the betrayal and assassination of Fred Hampton, who was the chairman of the black Panther party starring Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. So again, this is a film that doesn't come out until 2021. Uh, it doesn't really have, I don't think, a very specific date. Kind of waiting to see what happens. But the trailer, I think, looks really good. So let's watch this together here. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Repeat after me.
looking at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. The Black Badges are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I will these ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder a revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. Okay, so Chris, that was the trailer for uh, the film we just talked about, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, again, I think it's a, it's a great, well-done trailer. I love trailers that give you just enough information to know the general scope of what you're watching, but don't really go into a whole lot more than that. So we get what appears to be the setup of Lakeith Stanfield playing someone who, instead of being uh, having to serve a lot of time for a crime he committed, has an opportunity to go basically undercover to a Black Panther functions. And uh, we do know as in the lead up in the setup for the film that this is a film about the assassination of Fred Hampton, who is the chairman of the Black Panther Party. So uh, thoughts about the, the trailer or about the film in general? Uh, yeah, you can throw around the term powder keg. That's what uh, this looks, film looks like to me. Um, I guess, you know, it looks like a very... Um, very prescient film talking about, you know, or just talking about political issues and with all the things going on with black lives matter. And, you know, then you throw in the black Panthers kind of looking back at that situation that was going on in the seventies. Yeah. Obviously going to be a very powerful film looks that way. Um, I guess my surprise is that I didn't see the name Spike Lee associated with it anywhere, which was kind of a surprise just because this seems like, you know, he having made, the five bloods this year, but you know, looking back, something like Malcolm X, this seems like it would be kind of like a, a follow-up to that film that he would decide to make. Um, but it, he didn't, yeah. this is like completely different people. Um, so it, yeah, it looks like it will be good. The performances look very strong. Uh, Kaluuya definitely looks like he has the black power um, cadence down, like, you know, orating cadence of the Black Panthers. He looks like he definitely has that down. And Lakeith Stanfield, I mean, you just see some of the looks that he gives in the trailer and you're like, oh, okay. He's, yeah, it's gonna, it's intimidating the glares that he gives. And then, you know, since this is an audio podcast, not a video, you'd have to look at the trailer for yourself. The voice that you hear of the person talking at some points, telling the person, you know, you've car theft and some of the other stuff playing like a a policeman or an investigative officer, Jesse Plemons. Um, mm -hmm. I'm excited to see him in it because he's somebody that I really only know from game night, but before that from breaking bad. And um, I, I always like seeing him do the things that he does. And in a way to me, it seems like this is a very like Matt Damon playing a bad person role, but it's not Matt Damon as Jesse Plemons. So it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll be interested to see how he, he fits in with the film, but I think it'll, I think it'll be good. I'm excited to see it. 
Well, as as is our tradition now, uh, this show is the Jesse Plemons podcast, because if you recall, I think we mentioned him in the last several episodes. We talked about him just the last time we got together because he was in the uh, Charlie Kaufman film trailer that we also preview as well. So sure. I, think, I think Jesse Plemons is going to have a good year coming up in 2021, assuming the films are released on schedule. Um, well, I think Ryan Coogler also listed as the producer on this film. Again, not something you would see from or hear from the audio podcast side, but his name is up on the screen there. Uh, I'm really curious to see Ryan Coogler, you know, yes, Fruitville Station got him a lot of acclaim. He's done the Creed movies, which also got well, a lot, you know, were pretty good box office hits. And then of course he did Black Panther and that's the one everybody remembers and, and was a big fan of. I'd like to see if he can, if he settles into some more really, uh, really interesting film projects that are, are touching on some very hot topics and, um, and the such. So is he slated to become a very, a little more Spike Lee-ish in the films he's attached to and produced? I don't know, but um, I'm just, either way, I'm happy to see what he's working on. So this film looks great. I'm very excited about it. Can't wait to see it. Great. All right. So Chris, that's our trailer tapas. We're both uh, very excited about the two films that we just talked about. Boy State coming to Apple TV plus. It should be out by the time you hear this. And then Judas and the Black Messiah, unfortunately not coming out until 2021 sometime, but it is something we will keep on our radar for sure. And so that will wrap up our conversations about some future projects coming up. But we've come to the point of the show, Chris, where we uh, always wrap up with our recommendations. You and I comb through our video library or our viewing history or maybe we just watched something this morning and we were like, you know what? That was a great film. I'm going to recommend it. However, we came up with our recommendations. We are trying to give a film out to everybody that you can watch now online that we feel like is worth a recommendation, something we want to give some, some props to. So Chris, I'm going to toss it over to you first. What recommendation do you have for us today? Okay. So I'm going to recommend a documentary that I just recently found out about and just recently watched. Um, it is available on this little known website called YouTube and wow. it's free. Um, but you may have trouble finding it, but if you can't find it, maybe go back a week later and it'll probably be put back up. It's called the sweat box. It originally came out in 2002 or didn't come out because it was premiered at the Toronto film festival and Disney owns the rights to it. Why? I'll get into that in a second. And they have never released it on home video or DVD. So basically the only place it was shown was at the Toronto International Film Festival and then has gone missing. Hmm. So uh, Disney owns the rights. Why haven't they released it? They've got a service. Let me see if I can get it right. Disney Plus that this could easily go on if they decide to put it on there. Well, the reasoning goes on or goes this way. And probably you can figure out why. This is a behind-the-scenes documentary about a film that I've actually recommended on the podcast, Emperor's New Groove. Um, it's a Disney film that came out. A lot of people didn't like it. They thought it was really weird. Um, they thought it looked kind of like a Chuck Jones type, you know, Bugs Bunny type inspired kind of movie because it looked nothing like the di usual Disney animation. The songs were all weird. People, A lot of people just didn't like it. Starred David Spade, John Goodman. I really liked it. I really thought it was funny. It was an unusual Disney-type film. And then later, Emperor's New Groove kind of got a little bit of a cult following, and they actually made like a, I think it was a Saturday morning cartoon, like kind of short-lived, but they had something with that. The Sweatbox documentary um, 
is kind of came about because Sting originally was supposed to do all the music for not the Emperor's New Groove, but a movie called Kingdom in the Sun, which was then changed to Kingdom of the Sun and then was finally changed to Emperor's New Groove. The documentarian who made the film was his wife, Trudy Styler. So that's how she had all this access to Sting and his frustrations with trying to make the music and got all this access to talking to Disney animators, getting to go on campus at the Disney Animation Studios, talking with them about this whole process of making a film. So you can see that originally this was probably supposed to be if everything had gone smoothly and they hadn't hired and fired actors and totally changed the way the movie was going to be made or what the story was going to be, if it had gone like quote unquote normal, this probably would have been like a feature, a behind the scenes feature on the Kingdom of the Sun DVD. Well, because the production was so turbulent, which kind of explains why, you know, there was just a lot of rushing to production and the movie came out and people weren't happy with it. And a lot of people think Disney also kind of deep six the advertising because they felt it was troubled anyway. So if you've seen Emperor's New Groove and you like it, or maybe if you've seen Emperor's New Groove and you didn't like it, if you watch this behind the scenes film about how Disney was trying to get a movie made, it really sheds a lot of light on the creative process about how they try to work together, but yet they are not shy about tearing each other's ideas down. And it it is it was fascinating. I will say that when you do find it on YouTube, because it is basically you know not supposed to be there, it is a very rough copy of it. There's actually a time code stamp on the bottom of it. I think the copies that I saw floating on YouTube. So quality is not that great, but the story is really interesting about all the changing and all the how this movie morphed from the way it was started to the way it ended. Um, definitely worth checking out. It's called The Sweat Box. And you may say, why is it called that? Well, apparently the original screening room that Walt Disney had out in California at the studios was an unair conditioned theater where you would go in there and watch like the rough cuts of films. And it was hot, apparently. So they nicknamed this film, which I think they do have air conditioning in the screening room now, but uh, they called this film The Sweat Box. Wow. I am fascinated. I knew nothing about this. I did like the film Emperor's New Groove. I thought it was a fun movie, but I had no idea the background behind the film. Did not know Sting's involvement or anything. So this is, uh, this is okay. I've already added it to my playlist. I will be watching this very, very soon. So thank you for that great recommendation. Uh, unfortunately, Chris, my recommendation is one you've already seen. So okay. I can't. So it's not one that you know you're going to be able to go run out and see for the first time. I I'm, I apologize for that, but too many situations just led to this recommendation that I just felt like it was apropos the right time to bring it back up. And I'm going to go way back in the wayback machine, back to Foot Candle Films number seven. Wow, number seven. Do you know what our main review of that episode was, Chris? I have absolutely no idea. You don't, you, you can't rattle off our episode numbers and they're the main films we reviewed by heart at this point. No, Chris, you need to work. You got to work on that, man. You got to work on that. So, uh, are you recommending a movie that we reviewed or recommending a movie that you've already recommended on a show? It's a, it's a, it's a film we reviewed back in foot candle films, number seven. Um, but I don't think we've really mentioned it since then. So I'm going to bring it up as a recommendation now. Give me a hint. What's the genre of the film? Um, it's, it's got a little bit to do with apocalyptic visions. Whoa. 
maybe some uh, 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 natural disasters possibly coming to afflict a family. Oh, okay. Yes. Now I get it. So would it be Take Shelter? It is Take Shelter. So this is the film starring uh, Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain, directed by Jeff Nichols. Now I'll bring this up for a few reasons, Chris. Just this past weekend, uh, we had something here in our part of North Carolina where we live that I don't, we don't have very often. And it was an earthquake. Okay. We had an earthquake here. It kind of, a lot of people around here got kind of freaked out by it. <laughs> so we're not used to earthquakes in Western North Carolina. And it was like a 5.1 or something, I think on the Richard scale. So it was a, it was yeah. a pretty good one. Sure. Um, we've, we've had torrential storms and downpours like for like the last couple of weeks, a lot of rain more than usual. We're entering hurricane season. So we've started to kind of hear that hurricanes are starting up. And then of course we're right in the middle of a pandemic and I'm not even going to bring up social and political uh, strife and issues going on, but there's a lot of things that, you know, if you were the character that Michael Shannon played in this film, where he is plagued by a series of apocalyptic visions. He's a young husband and he's a father, but he's questioning whether or not he should be sheltering his family from a coming storm or from himself. Uh, you get the kind of the tone of the film and maybe what brought it to mind for me to say, you know what, this maybe has a little bit of uh, connectivity to where we are today. Um, he has a, a really interesting quote that I think is the kind of the quote from the film that probably when they play clips from it, this is the part him yelling to a group of people. It's like, there's a storm coming like nothing you've ever seen and not a one of you is prepared for it. <laughs> so the film itself though is it, it's not about the apocalyptic visions. It's about the impact it's having on him and his questioning his own sanity along the film too, because you as a viewer don't know if what he's per, 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 pretending, what he's seeing, what he's uh, envisioning is real or not, whether it's going to happen or not. There is a bunker being built for his family. And again, you just don't never quite know if it's because he truly is sensing something that's going to happen, or if it's just someone who's really struggling with a lot of kind of his grasp on reality at the moment, regardless of that. And I love the way the film ends and it never gave means to give you a perfect answer either. Um, but I love everything about the film. I love the acting, Michael Shannon, this was probably Michael Shannon at peak indie star film quality. He got bigger after that, but I think this was kind of where he really got noticed on the smaller independent film circle for, for sure. And then sure. Jessica Chastain, it's one of the first films I remember her being in, in general, that I ever saw her in. So you got two really great actors who were kind of either rising or coming near the peak of their independent film careers. Um, Jeff Nichols, a really great director, who has only made five films. And Chris, do you realize that loving his last film, that's the last film he's done. And no, I'm sorry, Mud. Mud was the last one he did, I believe. He's only made five films. Loving was after Mud. Midnight Express, I think, was was that before Loving? That was, that, that was before Loving. Loving came after that one. I think Loving was the last one because Mud okay. was earlier than both those. Mud was after, uh, so it was basically you had... Um, um, uh, stories. Um, stories. The, yep. You had that. Then you had, uh, this film take shelter. Then you had mud. Then you had midnight special. Then you had loving. That was his five. Loving was like many years ago and he doesn't have anything listed on IMDb as an upcoming project at all, Interesting. which is a shame 
because I've seen four of his five films and I like all four of them. So kind of upsetting that, you know, there's not anything on the horizon unless hopefully maybe it's a secret project that we, uh, he just doesn't have listed on IMDb or anywhere else right now. So, um, but anyway, you were a big fan of take shelter too, if I remember correctly. Yes. I liked it a lot. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a really, really good film. And again, it's, uh, to me, it's, um, I think about it a lot in terms of the same uh, film, the Coen brothers film, a serious man mm-hmm. where both films are about this building sense of something's going to go wrong or the characters feel like something is happening wrong. Both of them end on a very, uh, <laughs> a little uh, either ambiguous or ominous or surprising end, yeah. but it's about characters that you just don't know if, if, if the things happening to them are, truly, uh, truly happening to them or more things that they're envisioning or seeing along the way in their life. So, uh, and I think they all, both these films came out relatively same time, but take shelter. Uh, it's a really good film. So unfortunately there's just too many things going on right now that made me think about this film. So I had to bring it back up as a recommendation. So that is a good one. So, although I don't know if recommendation is the right word, because if somebody's already kind of, if you find yourself maybe struggling with all the things going on in the world right now and not, not wrestling with it very well, this may not be the film you want to watch because I don't think it's going to help with that sense of uh sense of dread or anxiety. So anyway, sorry about that recommendation. I didn't really end the show on a very positive, upbeat note, but uh that's where my head was at the time of coming up with this recommendation. So. Fair enough. All right. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's with that downer note, Chris, I think we're going to wrap up the show today. Again, we had reviews of the film's first cow and the film An American Pickle. Both of them positive reviews, little gradation between Chris and myself as far as how much we enjoyed both of them. But we're both saying we're giving positive reviews to both films. Uh, Then we did talk about the film uh, Suicide Squad or The Suicide Squad by Mr. James Gunn coming out sometime in the next year. We had a couple of uh, trailers we talked about. We did Boy State and Judas and the Black Messiah. Both films were very interested and excited about seeing in the coming uh, weeks and months and years. Uh, and then our recommendations, Chris with the sweat box, a fascinating documentary that I'm did not know even existed. So I will be, I'll be probably be watching it this weekend because the whole behind the scenes of Disney films and animation films, I think is fascinating. So anything that deals with that, I'm going to end up watching. And then I gave the recommendation of take shelter. Although I'm starting to second guess whether I want to recommend that film and maybe, uh, maybe hold on and table that one for a little while later when, when uh, people are feeling a little better about some things. So, so Chris with that, we have wrapped up, but uh, if somebody wanted to ask questions or get back in touch with us, what, uh, what should they do at this point? Easiest way to do it is send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow Alan and I on Twitter with Foot Candle Films, and that's just simply at Foot Candle Film. We are both on Letterboxd. You can track what we're seeing. Sometimes we write short little reviews. Uh, if you do enjoy our show, consider doing us a favor since you get it for the extremely low price of free. Um, you could do us a favor by going onto iTunes and give us a star rating or write a review because it helps us reach new listeners and we'd appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So please do review subscriptions, um, ratings, any of those things help uh, because you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things out there on the internet to watch and listen to. And just, you know, if you, if you, if you enjoyed it all listening to us drone about films for the last hour or 15 and change, 
uh, any of those things you can do really help the show get get viewed and seen by others as well. So we appreciate anything you're you be able to do to help out. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up again. Remember the foot candle film festival coming up September 23rd through the 27th of the year, 2020, you can go to footcandlefilmfestival.com to find out what films we're playing, see the schedule and access uh, tickets and passes to watch the films. Again, it's an online, completely virtual festival. So you can watch it from anywhere you are and we'll be happy to have you join us online in late September. All right. Great, Chris, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks again to everybody for listening. Thanks, Chris, for uh, zooming in and uh, joining the conversation. We will talk to everybody soon. Take care. When theaters are open, see you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.